morning. It's uh, it's good to look out there and see a few more folks <clears throat> here lately because of all the things been going on with the weather and then uh, ongoing coronavirus and all these kind of things. It's like our numbers have been kind of up and down and a lot of down and now kind of coming back a little bit. So hopefully we continue on that trend. So it's good to see everybody, especially those visiting with us this morning. Good to have you here. The title of our lesson this morning, One Heart and One Soul, that's based on Acts 4 and verses 32 through 37, specifically verse 32. I'll go ahead and pull up this introduction slide. In verse 32, it says they were of one heart and one soul. And then down in verse 35, it says they distributed to each as anyone had need. Three points I want us to give consideration to this morning. The message was new, the commitment was new, and the encouragement was new. Go ahead and pull up that first slide. Acts 4 and verse 32, and they were of one heart and one soul. Doesn't that sound kind of refreshing? When you think about all the turmoil and all the division that goes on in the world, and then you read that. That they were of one heart and one soul. It is rather refreshing to read that and to think about that. And whenever it says that they were of one heart and one soul, we oftentimes read that context. And we think about them distributing to one another's needs. And we think to ourselves, oh, that's good. They stayed in Jerusalem there for a while after the day of Pentecost. And so of those that traveled along from a long ways off, and their stay was delayed, the, yeah, that they would have certain needs. And they would need places to stay. And they would need food. And they would need provisions and stuff. And we think to ourselves, oh, well, they saw to their physical needs. Well, they did. But I don't think that's all that's suggesting there. When it says that they were of one heart and one soul, and other commentators uh, suggest also that when it mentions that, it's not just the physical provisions, but rather the emotional support, the spiritual support, and the physical support that would have been included in all of that. And so in Acts 4 and verse 32, it says they were of one heart. The congregation was of one heart and one soul. One commentator said, that's kind of alluring, isn't it? Doesn't that statement have sort of a draw to it? And as someone once suggested, or was suggested, if you see a group like that, don't other people look at that and go, that's what I want. <laughs> I want to be a part of that. I think that's part of the reason why that's recorded for us there. This was something new. And something new was beginning. And now these people are together. And they are sharing things. And that's the way God designed it. So I want you to keep that in mind as we give consideration to this today. What you see taking place there in Acts 4, 32 through 37, I want you to keep this in mind. God created that. God created that. That didn't just happen. That was by 
designed. And we need to keep that in mind. So there was a new message. And there was a new commitment. And there was new encouragement that was taking place there. I want to read to you from verse 32 and verse 33. Acts 4, verse 32. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. One writer said in regards to the book of Acts, as you begin to read it, he said it's really like a breath of fresh air blows through Jerusalem. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And somebody else suggested what they are now experiencing is what had been prophesied a long time ago. I want to read to you from Ezekiel, the 11th chapter, and about verses 19 and 20. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God said, Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. You know, oftentimes we think about that prophecy from the book of Ezekiel, and we think about the commitment that God's people in that day, and I think Ezekiel is pointing forward to the book of Acts. <laughs> And we think, well, yeah, that's, that's the kind of commitment that God or that people will have towards God. But if you have that kind of commitment towards God, then you have that kind of commitment towards God's people is also suggested. And he's saying, I'm going to give them a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. You know, as you think about this, what's taking place in Acts 4 chapter, and of course this morning we talked about Acts chapter 1, right? And you back up to the book of Luke that we mentioned. And after Jesus was crucified, and many of the disciples were just confused and didn't know what to think. And they were kind of discouraged, they were disappointed. But yet then after the resurrection... And then you come to Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 through 11. And they are there and they witness the ascension. What a difference you start to see in these people. Previously discouraged. But now, in Acts chapter 1, they're headed back to Jerusalem. Now I want you to stop and think about that for just a moment. It hadn't been that long when Jesus had been arrested when he had been crucified 
And what happened to the apostles? They scattered. And when they did get together, what's John tell us over about John 19? And when it was evening, they were together behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. They crucified Jesus. What do you think they'll do to us? But then there's Acts 1, and they watched Jesus ascend. And now instead of walking away from Jerusalem, they're going back to Jerusalem. Instead of being scared, now they're bold. Instead of being timid, now they're militant. We don't have time to read the entirety of Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5 this morning, but what happens with Peter and John? They are speaking boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. And when the religious leaders hear about it, what do they do? They arrest them. And then they warn them. Stop that. Quit talking about Jesus. You're stirring everybody up. And then they release them. And what do they do? They go right back to talking about him again. So what do they do? They arrest him again. And this time, not only do they threaten him, they beat him. And what's their response? They rejoice. That they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Intimidated. And now they're militant. John 19. They're behind a locked door. For fear of the Jews. And now. In Acts 4. (laughs) It's in your face. We're going to talk about Jesus. No matter what. And you can do to us whatever you want. We're not stopping. Before. They may have been good Jews. Faithful to the law of Moses. But now. Their allegiance has changed. And they're changing. And they're preaching Jesus. They're following Him. They're teaching about Him. And their work is from the heart. And their loyalty and their faithfulness now is unto death. And their commitment is not to Moses. It's to Jesus Christ. And the fellowship that they teach creates a family and a relationship and an association that is close and is shared. And that's why it says in Acts 2 and verse 42, when it talks about the disciples, they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They were following what the apostles were teaching. So there's a drastic change 
that is taking place in their lives and in their religion and in their relationships and in their allegiance. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, stay at Pentecost. Peter says, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's at the right hand of God. And He's Lord. And what that means is that He's Master. He's the one that has the authority. And as we talked about in class this morning, that's why Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Not to Moses. to me to Jesus Christ and now these followers are understanding and now through the apostles teaching they're understanding that Jesus had fulfilled all those promises made by God to their fathers since the days of Abraham Acts 3 and verse 18. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Peter saying, all those prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 and verse 11. Peter says, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has now become the chief cornerstone. What's Peter saying? There's there's another prophecy. And that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Just like the prophets had said, you would reject him and you did. But notice what he says in verse 12. Now there is salvation, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Once again, what's Peter saying? Who are you going to look to now for salvation? Peter says there's no other name. It's Jesus Christ. Listen to Acts chapter 5. About verse 31. Him, talk about Jesus, God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior. That's ruler and savior. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. God exalted him to his right hand. He is prince, he is savior. And through Him, Israel could have repentance and forgiveness of their sins. And what Peter is saying is these spiritual blessings are now being heaped on those who will follow Jesus Christ. 
What he's saying is this is a new and living way. Listen to the Hebrew writer. Hebrews chapter 10. Same thing as what Peter has been saying, that all this was fulfilled, pointed to and was fulfilled in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first in order that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood, offering through the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What's Peter wanting to see? What's the Hebrew writer wanting to see? There's a new way. And this is what God has offered. And this is through the body of Jesus Christ. And not according to those old sacrifices. Those were all pointing to Him. And found their fulfillment in Him. And so as you read through the early chapters of the book of Acts. What Peter is saying is. You're now living it. You're now experiencing. What the prophets pointed to. And the fulfillment that was found in Jesus Christ. And these truths are demonstrated. And those who accepted it, believed it, Acts has shown us the impact that it had on their lives. That's Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. They were of one heart and one soul. Why? Because they realized what God had done for them. God created that association, that fellowship between believers. This was the new message. And as a result, the commitment was new. Acts chapter 4, once again, this time verse 33 and verse 34. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them. And brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. With great power, the apostles gave testimony. And great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. The language there that's used suggests that the message was what was powerful. Because see, it says, and with great power, the apostles gave witness. And sometimes we think, well, 
Was that that the apostles? They were delivering, they were delivering it in such a powerful way. <laughs> and what's suggested is the power is in that message. That's what was powerful. That's what was changing people's lives. And that's why they shared and there wasn't a needy person among them. And it says great grace was on them all. They realized the blessing they had in Jesus Christ. And because of that, it created a bond between them and they looked out for one another. And there was no need. Now I'm going to give you an illustration. So last night, about 8 o'clock, something like that, the phone rings. And it's a preacher from Northern California. And he says, I got a granddaughter at Leavenworth. Not in the prison. She works at the prison. <laughs> Military. And he said, I was looking on the map and I realized you're probably the closest Church of Christ I could see like to there. I said, yeah, we're not very far from there. We have military families and so forth that visit here all the time. And he said, well, my granddaughter has just been there for a really short period of time. She's by herself. She needs association. Now I want you to think about that. That's what's taking place in Acts 4 and verse 32. She's not in need of any clothes. The military supplies that. <laughs> She's not needing any food. The military supplies that. What's he saying? She needs Christian association. I said, give us her name. <laughs> and he said, She's a little shy. So I'm going to give her your phone number and hopefully she'll call. I said, if she doesn't, <laughs> you're her grandfather. I said, we'll be on this. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? When there is no need, I don't think they're talking about just physically. Everybody got something to eat. Don't you think these people that came from all over the world and they were there and experienced this? And now things are changing. Don't you think there was somebody that was just a little nervous and was saying, are you sure we're doing the right thing? And somebody had to hold her hand and say, yes. <laughs> I want you to look at these prophets. I want you to look at these prophecies. I want you to think about what happened with Jesus Christ. And yes, this is the right thing. Think that might have happened? think it very well may have happened. And when we go back home, we're practicing Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. Things are changing. Acts 2 and verse 5 says, On the day of Pentecost, there was Jews from... Every nation under heaven. So how did so many diverse people 
from various regions. They come together and now there is such a unity. Let me tell you, I think that happens. No, let me tell you how that happens. (laughs) You're not here to hear what I think about it. (laughs) You want to hear what God has to say about it. So how did that happen? This is the way it happened. Let me give you an illustration to make this point. You ever gone to the symphony? Ever gone, listen to an orchestra? Have you ever gotten there just a little bit early before the actual performance begins? And have you ever heard those folks sitting there in their chairs and, you know, and maybe they're you know, doing this and they're blowing and, and there's it's like a racket. <laughs> and you're thinking, this is the symphony. <laughs> it's almost painful to listen to. But slowly but surely, it kind of all comes into tune. You know what I discovered reading about this? <laughs> Do you know that oftentimes it's the oboe? is <laughs> the instrument that is used to help everyone get in tune. And you know why that is? They said because the oboe is the instrument that is probably least affected by weather and temperature and humidity and all these other kinds of things. So the note that it plays is pure. It's correct. And other instruments will tune to it. And then when they're all in the same tune, on the same note, then the music that they produce is beautiful. You know the instrument that was used on Pentecost? It was the Holy Spirit. And when people are brought in tune with the Holy Spirit, then they can find unity. Then they can find harmony. And that's what's produced. And that's what Acts 4 and verse 32 is talking about. They were of one heart and one soul. When God brings people together, He wants oneness. That's why on the night when Jesus was betrayed, John 17, what was the prayer that He prayed? Father, I pray that they might all be one. As you, Father, in me and I am in you. That they might be one in us. He goes on in that same prayer. He says, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. This is what you're tuned to. The word revealed by the Holy Spirit. And bringing it together in harmony. They were of one heart. When you read that, you have to keep in mind where the book of Acts has already been. Thousands of people from all over the world came together on that occasion. And they were there when the Holy Spirit fell. And they heard the message that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
about Jesus Christ and proof of the resurrection and how salvation was offered to all. Brought together, made to realize their common need, and then they found a common Savior. Now, as they look around and they see that other person from another country, they may look a little bit different from me. They may sound a little bit different from me. They may dress a little bit different than me. But now what I've come to realize, they're not much different from me. Can you see that? And God creates that. And they are of one heart. And they are of one soul. And the reason why they're able to share their possessions is because they share their hearts and their souls. And now, that's why they see each other's needs. And they're willing to meet those needs. Verse 34. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them. And they brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. And they laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. So being of one heart and one soul, they wanted to satisfy, take care of, one another's needs. And that kind of cooperation, that kind of unity, that kind of meeting of one another's needs was radical. But it was radical in a very powerful way. And it says with great power, the apostles were giving testimony. It's that message That was powerful. And that cooperation and that unity was powerful. And it's that message of the Lord Jesus Christ that touches people's hearts and motivates people. It causes people to help other people. Great grace was on them all. The reason why they were able to extend grace is because they realized they had received grace. And that became the motivation. And that teaching had great power. And it radically changed them. They're now brothers and sisters. Same Heavenly Father. Same Savior. Same Lord. They stayed in Jerusalem. They stayed. They prayed for each other. They prayed with each other. And they shared with one another. God created that. That's powerful. Now we're not there yet. Okay? But we're going to be there before long. 
And so as you read Acts 1, and, and you see the ascension, and you see Acts 2, and the Holy Spirit falls, and that message is delivered, and, and the church begins. And then there's Acts 3, and Peter and John are going up to the temple, and they Peter performs a miracle, and then he delivers what we refer to as the second gospel sermon, and then... That stirs up the religious leaders and gets them arrested and then warned. And then Acts chapter 5, they go back to preaching and then it gets them arrested and gets them beaten. And then they're thankful that they were counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 4, you read about this commonality, this sharing and so forth, and being of one heart and one soul. And the number of disciples is increasing. You know who doesn't like to hear about that? Satan. (laughs) And, And so you see what God is creating. You see the impact that it's having. You see how powerful that is. And then in Acts 5, Satan's going to step in and try to disrupted and who shows up Ananias and Sapphira right (laughs) and that's why that's there it helps us to see how Satan will try to get in the middle of anything and stop God's message from having the influence and the impact that it ought to have and he'll try to sow discord So the encouragement was new. I want you to listen to verse 36 and 37 of Acts 4. New King James Version says, And Joseph, some translations say, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You know, oftentimes we just think Barnabas, right? And we forget his real name. His real name is Joseph. <laughs> it was the apostles who gave him that nickname, Barnabas, Bar, son of Nabas, encouragement. So they name him Barnabas, son of encouragement. And he's a Levite. And he's from Cyprus. And he has some land and he sells it and he takes the proceeds and he lays it at the feet of the apostles. And they see that as real encouraging. (laughs) That is encouraging. Here's a man that obviously had come to Jerusalem for this occasion. He's a Jew. He's a Levite. And while he's there, he's heard this message. He's obviously committed to following this new way. And not only is he committed, he wants to help others. So he sells this land so that he can give to this cause and help these people. He's all in. He's an example of being of one heart and one soul. But this is not the only time we'll see Barnabas. Now I want you to stop and think about this. 
You know, oftentimes the details of God's word is what is amazing. (laughs) So it says, here's Joseph, but the apostles call him Barnabas because he's so encouraging. And he's a Levite. Why do you think that's thrown in there? I'll tell you why it's thrown in there. Because he's a Levite. (laughs) Where did the priests come from? They came from the tribe of Levi. If there's anybody that's dedicated to God, it's a Levite, isn't it? (laughs) And now you have this Levite who's all in on following Jesus Christ. He's not running around saying, well, hold the phone. (laughs) We can't change the priesthood. You need to keep following Moses. No, here's a Levite. And he's all in on what the apostles are teaching and following Jesus Christ. A Levite promoting Christianity. That kind of thing doesn't just happen by accident. You know how that happens? John 12, verse 32. During Jesus' ministry, he said, And I, if I am raised up, making reference to his crucifixion, if I be raised up, will draw all men to myself. All men. Drawn to him. He'll become the center of God's people. He'll become the center of all that's religious. He'll become the center of all that's sacred. And all manner of men, women, from all walks of life will be drawn to Him. John 15. Jesus says, No greater gift can a man give than he lay down his life for his friends. How did Jesus show His love? By laying down His life. And that kind of love draws people. There's a Christian song. I can't tell you the name of it right now. I can't think of it, but the words come to mind. And in one line of this song, it says, When love is in the house, the house is packed. And that's what Jesus did. And that's the message that the apostles were teaching. When Jesus is the center and people know the love that He has and they experience that, they get serious about honoring Him. And that has great strength. 
and that has great power. And that's what God wants for His church. And the way that happens is through God's Spirit. And that message. And it moves people. It's a powerful message. And it says, Great grace was upon them all. He wants us to be of one heart and one soul. Because that's powerful. I didn't do a conclusion slide. <laughs> I'm sorry to hit that. The point is this. The message was new. The commitment was new. And the encouragement was new. And in Acts 4, verse 32, I'm going to read verse 32 and verse 33, and then skip down and read verse 35. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Verse 35. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. That was the outcome. That was the result of that message, that grace, and them being one heart and one soul. So let me close with this question. Two questions, actually. What's the most encouraging thing anyone has ever said to you as a Christian? What's the most encouraging thing anyone has ever said to you? And then, second question is, what's the most encouraging thing you've ever said to someone else as a Christian? And then you think about Acts 4 and verse 32. They were of one heart and they were of one soul. That's encouraging. That's what God created. That's powerful. You want to know what else that is? In Acts 4 and verse 32, that's a church. That's a church. And so when they looked at that group, they said, that's a church. That's God's people. That's encouraging. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If as a child of God you need to come back and make your life right with Him, if we can help you in any way, you let us know. While together we stand and while we sing.